Toward the later chapters of the book of Job, Job started demanding that God speak to him. Finally, God did, but it wasn't the experience Job had in mind. He thought he would get to question God. Instead, God questioned him. He answered Job out of the storm and said, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Can you imagine if God said that to you today and with a frown on his face? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Let's remind ourselves of the context here, because we've been studying through the book of Philippians as a church, and we're in this section now in chapter 2 about humility. In verses 3 through 4, uh, Paul calls us to be humble towards one another. He just tells us, be humble, put other people first, all of that. And, and then he gives us an example of how to do that, starting in verse 5. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very form of a slave, being found in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's the standard for humility. That's our example that we're supposed to imitate. The massive, massive foundation beneath our, uh, the command for us to be humble is nothing less than the very incarnation of the Son of God. And if you're not familiar with that word incarnation, it just means putting on flesh. To put on flesh. Throughout eternity past, God had no flesh. Right? He was spirit, no body, not human. But then, 2,000 years ago, having been in the form of God throughout eternity uh, past, verse 7 says, he, made, he was made in human likeness and he was found in appearance as a man. He took on flesh. And as we saw last week, the emphasis in this passage is on appearance, external appearance. Uh, because being willing to be seen as lowly in the eyes of people is an essential component of being humble. This is part of what it means to be a humble person. It's like, I don't care if people look down on me. Um, so it's external. However, when it says that, when it says on the outside he looked human, he took on the form of a human, does that imply that he wasn't really intrinsically fully human? The answer to that question is no. Last week we asked the question, does that mean when he was in the form of God, does that mean he wasn't really God? And we said no, that he, he was actually had divine nature, um, but the emphasis is on form. Same thing with his humanity. He was fully human, and he still is fully human. Luke 24, 39, this is after the resurrection, Jesus said, look at my hands and my feet, it's I, myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Do you know that Jesus right now in heaven has bones? Physical. You could touch him. He's got a physical body. And when Jesus walked this earth, he had a body like your body. He got thirsty. He got hungry. He got tired. He had to rest and stop and sleep. And when they cut him, he bled. He had a regular body. He, he was a regular person. He had to make progress in life, just like you do. He had to learn things. In Acts 2.52, it says he, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. He had to make progress. He even had to learn 
obedience in Hebrews 5.8. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus had human emotions, human weaknesses, human strength, human limitations, human cravings, human temptations. He, he was even tempted in Hebrews 4.15. He was tempted in every way, just like we are. Hebrews 2.17 says he had to be made like his brothers in every way. He was totally human. A lot of times you see, it's like, well, Jesus did that, but he was God. I mean, after all, how hard could it have been? No, he was totally human, even though he was God. He was definitely human. Um, but as we found last week, he never ceased to be God. Not even for a split second, not even for a moment did he stop being God. He was both God and man. Jesus is the only being in existence with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And I don't want to turn this into a theology lecture this morning, but, 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 but since this passage has so much important theology in it, uh, I do want to say just a couple things about how to understand the, those two natures of Christ. Because this will help you, uh, if you understand this, these two natures, this will help you harmonize things that you read in the Gospels and the various parts of Scriptures about Jesus being God and man and how to put that together. If you study... The, the two natures of Christ in the Bible, one thing you'll find is that there are some things that are true about one nature that aren't true of the other nature, and vice versa. So, so for example, in his human nature, he was able to get tired and fall asleep and all of that. In his divine nature, he has never gotten tired and never slept. Um, his human nature, he learned things. He was unaware of certain things, and then he learned certain things. In his divine nature, he always knew everything. Uh, it was his human nature that died. God never died. In his divine nature, he was always all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. Uh, in his human nature, he was subject to weakness and limitation. So, the, so all that to say, there's, certain, there's things that are true of one nature, that are, they're not true of the other nature. However, those two natures are joined together in such a way that anything that's true of one of them or the other one is true of the person. Because there's only one person, Jesus Christ, one person. Uh, and anything that's true of either one of his natures is true of him. So, so the person, Jesus Christ, died. Um, the, the person, Jesus Christ, is omniscient and all-powerful. Um, uh, anything that's true of one of his natures is true of him. So that's just kind of a basic overview of that doctrine. If you ever want to study more about that, about the two natures and how they're joined together, how they fit together and all that, uh, the seminary word for that is the hypostatic union. So uh, that's a really helpful term to know because if you ever want to impress anyone at any time, you can just say the word hypostatic, and you don't even have to know what it means. If you just say it, they'll be impressed. So, uh, so you can read about that if you want. Now, now for here, if, if, if all that has you just like thoroughly confused. Don't worry about that. Don't, the important thing to understand, the one thing you need, just need to know is Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, was 100% human and 100% God. Okay? If you can get that, you've got it. Okay, so, so all of that, that was all just a sidebar to, to establish the fact that when Jesus came to the earth, he was still God, yet in addition to being God, he was also 100% human. The main point of this passage is that when he took on that human nature, the way he did it showed us a model for humility. 
to teach us about humility. And there's four aspects of humility that really stand out to me in this description of Jesus in verses 6 to 8. The first three of those we looked at last week, appearance, selflessness, and servanthood. So we looked at those already. But there's a fourth one that we never, didn't have time for last time, and that's, um, that's what we'll see this time, and that is obedience. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Uh, there, there are always two sides of the coin of humility. There's, all, there's humility towards people, and there's humility towards God. Okay? And you can never have one of those without the other one. It's impossible. The primary focus in this particular passage is definitely humility towards people. He's, he's saying put other people first, uh, defer, all of that. Uh, so that's the, that's the emphasis here. And that's been the main emphasis ever since verse 3. But now in verse 8... He's showing us a little bit about the the, the side of humility that faces towards God. Uh, Humility towards God is basically that attitude that that, that says, you're the creator, I'm the creature. That's humility towards God, and and the most obvious expression of that attitude is obedience. That's how you say to God, okay, you're the creator, I'm the creature, is you obey. Um, God commands something, and... If you don't feel like doing it, um, uh, pride will say, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Okay, that's pride. It just is, I have an option. Uh, temptation comes along, and pride feels like it has the option to decide whether to obey God or not. So if you can imagine some guy who's working at a company, for the same job for like 30 years, he's worked the same job, and he's really good, at, but he gets laid off. And they hire some young guy right out of college to replace him because they can pay him half the salary. But after a while, they realize this new young guy, uh, he, he can't do the job. He needs some help. So they hire the older guy back, but they hire him back as the, the, the young guy's assistant. So, uh, so now you've got a guy in his late 50s taking orders from a, from a 22-year-old who's just starting out. Now, you tell me, what's typically going to happen in a situation like that? What's usually going to happen is you're going to have that guy uh, who the, the, the young guy is going to give some directives and the older guy, when he gets those directives, will size them up, evaluate them, and see whether or not he agrees. Right? That's typically what's going to happen. So he gives, the, the, the young guy gives one directive and the older guy sizes it up. He's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I can see that. And he, and he complies. But then he gives another directive and the older guy looks at it and like... He doesn't know what he's doing. This isn't a terrible idea. And he ignores that one. He doesn't obey. That's the way our pride is before God. Just like that. He gives us a directive. uh, Love your neighbor. uh, Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal things. Don't lie. And and we we get all that. We size size it up. It's like, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I, I agree. I'll do that. That sounds good to me. I'll comply. But then there comes a moment when it seems like, man, if I do this one thing, it'll make me happy. And God says to do this other thing instead? Ah, oh, it's not gonna, I'll miss out. Or God is telling me to do this, and it seems like that would make me miserable. And it just doesn't, it doesn't really compute in my mind. And at that point, my pride will make me just like that, that older employee in that, in that scenario. For the most part, I'll do what God says. But in those times when there's some other option that just seems so much better to me, well, then the, uh, the option of disobeying is on the table. 
pride things. In this case, I know better than God what will make me happy, and so I'm, I'm going to consider this other option. I'm going to consider it. And if the decision is made that I'm going to go my own way, well, pride feels safe in doing that. Pride says, ah, I can defy God's command. Pride says, I, I, I know God said not to do this, and I know he said he's going to deal with people who disobey him, but I'm not worried about that. I'm not afraid of him. Think of what monumental arrogance has to exist in my heart for me to think that I can take God on. Because that's essentially what I'm doing. Every single time I decide to sin, basically what I'm saying is, the creator of the universe wants me to do this, but I would rather do that, so I'm going toe-to-toe with the Almighty. I'm going to resist His authority. I'm going to, go, I'm going to take Him on and challenge His authority over me. That's pride. See, pride sees disobedience as an option to be considered. But if you're humble before God, disobedience, it's just, it's just not on the table. Any moment when you're being humble before God, disobedience, it's not on the table. Your flesh starts coming up with reasons why, oh, it'd be okay to do this, and I, you should maybe disobey God, and, and your heart just says, ah, no, it's not a debate. This is not a discussion. <laughs> Jesus Christ said to do this. That's the only option, period. That's the attitude humility has before God and His Word. I don't know if today's excerpt hits you like it hits me, but for me, I don't really need any particular application for this one. It applies itself. If I could just be cognizant of this idea in the moment of temptation, be aware of it, remember it. If I could just have the presence of mind to think, Daryl, give in to this temptation, and you're going toe-to-toe with God. You would be taking him on. Are you really that prideful? You would be challenging God's authority, and he doesn't lose challenges. Father, you strike the proud and arrogant on the jaw and shatter their teeth. You tear down the proud man's house. You detest all the proud in heart. Why would I want to imitate them? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against you and against your Holy One. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. That's what I'm saying when I disobey you. When I elevate my own way of making myself happy above the ways you've given in your word, that's me trying to break free from your constraints and challenge your authority. But when people do that, you laugh, you scoff at them, Then you rebuke them in your anger and terrify them in your wrath. You have given your son the nations as his inheritance, the ends of the earth as his possession. I belong to him. The ground I stand on belongs to him. This is his territory, and he has every rightful claim over me. He rules with an iron scepter, and will dash rebels to pieces like pottery. Father, give me grace to serve him with fear and to rejoice with trembling. May I kiss the sun 
lest he be angry, and I be destroyed in my way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.